You're listening to MND Matters, a podcast from the MND Association. Welcome to MND Matters, brought to you by the MND Association and sponsored by Toyota GB and Toyota Financial Services. Now, alongside members of the MND community, we bring stories, information and expertise direct to your ears. Remember to subscribe to ensure you don't miss an episode. A big hello from me, I'm Charlotte Hawkins. You may know me best as a journalist on ITV's Good Morning Britain or as a host on Classic FM every Sunday evening. But today I'm delighted to be here guest presenting this episode of the MND Matters podcast as patron of the MND Association. It's a cause very close to my heart. We lost my dad to MND eight years ago, back in January 2015. He was diagnosed in 2011 and it came as a huge shock to me that I found out that there was nothing we could do to make it better with no cure, no effective treatments. He was so dignified and brave throughout, but it was so tough watching him go through it. And that's what drives me on to want to push for so much more for those with MND, so that it's not the terminal illness it is currently, to find a cure, to find treatments, to get better access to equipment and adaptations for the home where needed, and to get the specialist care that is so important. It is a horrific situation for the person going through it, but also desperately hard for those around them who very often have to care for them day and night. So today, to highlight the importance of recognising that, we're going to be chatting with carers of people living with MND and discussing the newly launched Support MND Carers campaign. So I would like to welcome Kwai Peng and David. Thank you both for being here to tell your stories today and hello to you both. Hello. Hi. So Kwai Peng, let's start with you. And I'm sorry, because I know that this is something that you're living with at the moment. You're caring for your husband who has MND. Tell us a bit about how you became a carer, what it's like being a carer for your husband. So uh, my name is Kwai Peng. My husband was diagnosed with MND in June 18, 2015. And it's, you know, how this date's been seared into your memory, you know, that you've always remembered that date. And how can we not forget it? You know, it's like a lightning bolt. And we were given this big, you know, life-limiting diagnosis. And, and it's essentially a long goodbye, you know. I was looking after him on my own for a number of years so it started in 2015 he started with his fingers they were getting weak he was a pharmacist we thought he was being lazy and not going you know not climbing up on the the steps to reach for the medicine he um just didn't use the steps so we thought maybe it was repetitive strain injury so we went to the hospital and he was seen by several doctors and it's as in it's common in this play in this case you know, diagnosis by process of elimination. You know, there is no way that they actually go straight to diagnosis. <coughs> we saw hand consultants, shoulder consultants, you know, you name it, we've seen them. And eventually we had an EMG 
and the EMG then, you know, t told us that he had multineuron disease. So it was a devastating news. And so we went home and uh, we got a call from the neuro nurse. Luckily, we have a neuro nurse, or we had a neuro nurse. We don't have her anymore, sadly. What I needed was hand-holding. I needed someone to hold my hands right from the get-go. She referred me to the MNDA, and MNDA sent me this huge envelope with a thick, you know, manual of, you know, what to do, what to say, which is now all available online. And I found the manual very good, but I'm very daunted by manuals. I'm, I'm not the kind of person who look into manuals and say, you know, how, how do you operate the computer or, or the cooker? You know, so, so they gave me this manual and I was very daunted and I just couldn't cope with it. And for the first um, four years, I was looking after my husband by myself. I had to turn him every night. Um, I had no help. And um, I didn't know about the CARES assessment. So no one came. No one pointed me or signposted me to any help at all. So I had to help turn him seven or eight times a night I would have to turn him and and you know get him a bottle etc and one day uh, we went out and I fell asleep at the wheel and I crashed into three oncoming cars and um, uh, that was awful <laughs> and it really was just you know just like you know the um, I just remember this airbag because I was asleep, you know, and I just remember this airbag coming out. And I don't know if you ever, one of you have ever been involved in a crash where the airbag comes out. It's like this huge white flower with a black, you know, middle. And uh, and and I and that's when I woke up and I thought, oh my god, you know, have I killed anyone? And I wasn't even concerned about my husband. All I kept saying to people was, never killed anyone, never killed anyone, you know? And, um, and, and nobody would help my husband because they all could see that he was, he was paralyzed and they wouldn't move him. And smoke was coming out of the car. And it was just awful. And it was just because I was sleep deprived. So there was this, this awful moment that I realized that I really needed help. So for you, Kwai Peng, it sounds like it, it has been a, an overwhelming and intense and, and an isolating experience being a carer in a sense. There's a lot, to, a lot to get to grips with and a lot of the time you're having to do that on your own. David, let, let's come to you because, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry because I know you lost your wife just a few months ago. Um, and for you, you were your wife's carer um for several years weren't you do you recognize those sort of stories that Kwai Peng's talking about there that kind of you know the overwhelming nature of it the intensity of it the fact that it's just you having to to get on and do it all I, aspects of it I can do um, our situation seemed very different my wife and my wife uh, Sandy and I were very close prior to having her MND diagnosis um, she was diagnosed in the um, early part of 2017, um, mostly through she felt she was slurring and a bit of trouble with her swallowing. Um, we went to the GP, um, who happened to be a family friend as well. He said, well, there's no neurological referrals being made in Shropshire at the moment. So at that point, we were a bit stuck. We said, but if you want to go private, then we can do that for you. So we said, yes, definitely. So we went private and within a week, we were uh, we were seeing the uh, a neurological consultant 
and it took three sessions for us to have the diagnosis of MND. Took us back a little bit because we, that's what we weren't expecting. From that day on then, we were able to face our track. Now, my circumstances are very different to Kwai Peng's because I, I, I'm actually a trained nurse. I, have, I had 22 years uh, nursing in the palliative care. Uh, and my wife worked with me in palliative care also as a play leader and a, and a, um, and a counsellor. I looked after her solely uh, on my own without any help for the whole time since um, April, uh, April 2019. Uh, the longest we were apart in that time was four hours. That's oh. the only time that we had apart was, was, was four hours. But that was more choice, really, um, because we were very lucky with where we lived geographically in the country. We had everything. Once we got our um, diagnosis from the uh, private um, uh, cons cons consultation, um, we were then referred to the local hospice. Luckily for us, they had a, a clinical specialist MND person there. Um, as a nurse, I was able to meet every one of Sandy's needs quite easily. Um, we, were, we had no home adaptations. Um, so there was all, all we had really was, uh, was a stair lift. And I was able to keep Sandy in, in the home for the whole time. And we just adapted because I, I basically knew what I was doing because I've been dealing with disability for the last 22 years. And we just hit every day running. We were just so lucky that a very different side to the story that you know, Kwai Peng was, 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 mm -hmm. was, was, was just saying about um, Christmas of 2019 was horrendous. Um, and we, we again, we, we weren't sleeping, Kwai Peng, just like you. We were, it was, we were up every half an hour, which she couldn't turn, she couldn't. So we went to Lisa, our MND specialist, and she got us um, a rising recline chair for the lounge. And once Sandy had that, she could control her own her own position. And I slept on a sofa for three and a half years in the lounge with her, and we just slept. We were able to sleep. So from no sleep, we were getting seven hours a night to a point where we were having to set an alarm to wake up in the morning. One day we slept through to half past 11. Oh. You know, a carer's assessment was mentioned at times, um, but that was never completed. So I don't actually know what the outcome of that would have been. Um, okay. but, well, um, let's talk about the, the carers' assessments, because we know that research from the MND Association's new Support MND Carers campaign has found only 25% of carers of people with MND have either received a carers' assessment or were in the process of having one, and 40% were unaware of their right to a carers' assessment so quite pay what you mentioned the carers assessment before as well didn't you what did, did you have one what happened yes i did uh we came my husband had a very good care uh, social worker and um so she referred me to and who did the carers assessment but i only had two and uh, i had one back in 2017 and um, and they did assessment. They came. They visited. They went through a list of questions, and then they offered me, you know, things like respite and and um, and they, they have a grant for me to go and do whatever whatever I wanted. So they gave me a small amount of money, and then another one was done, and uh, and the same again. You know, that was done over the phone because of COVID. And again, you know, a quick assessment of what's going on, how am I coping, et cetera. And, and then uh, another grant, I got another grant, you know. Yesterday, I rang up the social services and said, you know, um, and asked about care assessment. And the first thing the lady said, 
why do you need a care assessment? Are you not coping? And I said, well, no, I'm, I am coping, but, you know, I, you know, I think I just need one to review the situation because things have changed since 2021. And um, so I'm hoping to get another one soon. OK, but yeah, because it would make a big difference. I mean, David, do you think that this situation with the, the carer's assessment is is working for people then? I can only go by my own experience of that because, you say, we were mentioned to us, but it, it never... But the figures you were quoting, it sounds very disappointing. Um, but but those figures are very low. It's really difficult for people, isn't it? Because I think, you know, it's, as you say, it, it only gets harder, doesn't it, as the disease progresses. Mm. Um, and, and just going through here, carers' assessments help to identify the needs of carers so they can be offered the appropriate services and assistance to feel supported within their role. Potential support offered might include practical help with housework, breaks from caring, respite care. You mentioned that, Kwai Peng, didn't you, for the person you care for or advice about benefits. And, and Kwai Peng, presumably it's this kind of support that you really need, isn't it, when you're going through this? Yes, 100 percent. You know, we really, really need it. But it, as, as David said, you know, it is I am quite shocked by those statistics, you know, when I found out, you know, I mean, I perhaps I'm lucky to be in that 25 percent who've been offered one, you know, but the rest of the people even and 40 percent don't know about it. And that is quite an amazing figure. It's something that should be, you know, out there and people should know that, that, that we are, you know, we have a right to have a care assessment because uh, that is like a lifeline. You know, even if we don't get anything, you someone is aware that you exist. You know, you as the carer is out there, you are working, you know, and even if you don't get a grant, you know, somebody knows about you. It, it shouldn't be a form filling exercise, you know, and as, as good as getting the assessment done is, um, even though the assessment's done, you can't guarantee the right people are going to come and look after you. Mm, mm. Um, you, know, you just have to know that the care that you're going to get is going to be sufficient and appropriate for the type of need that that will you manifest over, over time. Um, we see so many people going, going into care jobs now because there's nothing else that they have there to do. But it's easy to give someone a job in care, but do they actually know what the care is that they need to give? You know, and are, are they able to think like you or me, you know, in, in, in what our in in what our loved ones need. Um, they've got to be appropriately trained, you know, they've got to have those communication skills, not only not only speaking, but listening to what is going on. Maybe working with someone with an eye gaze, you know, that can take a lot of the time and they've got to be properly trained in using that to understand then what your husband would need. Got to know about his manual handling needs, got to know about his dietary needs, got to know about his there's, there's also so many things that you have to think about. Someone just coming into your house, filling a form in, doesn't take all that in, into consideration. So having an assessment done is all well and good, but you've got to have the people around to, who can put that assessment into practice and be realistic about the care they can actually give. You know, it's not a question of ticking boxes. It doesn't conform. No, Everybody not. has different symptoms at different times. They're going to progress yeah. differently. And you do need people who are going to understand it. And it is one of those diseases where quite often there are there are such complex needs in all yeah. sorts of different areas, aren't there? So like you say, having those people that are able to understand it and it's it's you two who are sort of at the forefront of that that understand it best. But it is 
difficult, I imagine, needing that support because like Kwai Peng is saying, it's it's really full on, isn't it? If you're trying to do that all yourself. I mean, David, you've obviously had the expertise to be able to do that and sound pretty superhuman, um, if I may say <laughs> so, from the point of view that... Um, I, I, I just made a promise to my wife that I would look after her. I looked after so I just so I was just keeping a promise. <laughs> well, good for you. Yes, I'm sure yes. she was very grateful. But you know, quite paying it must be it must be so hard when you you have people like that that just you know when they, they come and assess and they don't have the understanding of it because for you you're living it day to day and, and desperately need the support, don't you? In the right way. Yes, yes, it is very, very hard. Well, I, I am a nurse as well, David, but I didn't specialize. Uh, I, I, when I finished nursing, when I finished training, uh, I went and became a midwife. So I actually didn't didn't nurse adults. You know, I just uh, you know delivered babies and scan and you know. So I've never ever seen a. You know, I've obviously seen tracheostomy, but never ever handled and nursed anyone with trachea before. And you're you're absolutely right. You know, it, it is very difficult because you need people who are correctly trained you know the the carers that are sent here are not trained now i had to learn very quickly and with my nursing background i luckily you know am able to learn very quickly how to deal with tracheostomy so what has been happening is that they have given these carers basic training on how to do trachees and then they've come here to get their practical training from me so i'm actually having to do that i'm having to troubleshoot because they don't know what to do it's actually quite scary because when katie was discharged from hospital after having his trachea inserted he was in hospital for six months we came home and i remember he came into the bedroom and the nurse from the hospital came in and she dropped four black bags and said here are your tubings she said and good luck bye and uh, and the uh, district nurse never came she was supposed to come she didn't never came uh, the agency had had a nurse uh, who was supposed to be tracky trained she left that morning she left company that morning so she the nurse who came was not tracky trained and I was just sort of floundering you know and and I eventually thought, why didn't the district nurses come? I would ring them and they would not even reply my calls. I was, you know, ring them in fear. I was scared and they wouldn't answer my call. And I understand why now, because they actually not used to looking after people with tracheostomy in the community. I, I, I All I need was someone to say, you're doing fine. You know, that, that's all we need. Just a little phone call to say you're doing a good job. And that's it. But no, nobody came, and it was really frustrating. And the the agency, you know, also you know, very very difficult because they paying their carers minimum wages. They have a zero hour contract, and uh, and a lot of them uh, who stay with us are staying out of goodwill. Yeah, they like my husband. He's a lovely man, and they enjoy his company. And they, you know, despite their lower pay, they stay. And David, for you, do you have, you know, if anybody's listening who's going through this themselves, what what advice would you be able to give? Because does it depend, do you think, on what area you live in or does it depend, you know, you, because of your job, 
I guess, knew a bit about, you know, the help that you needed, where you could go. But for other people, it, it's hard, isn't it? Because you're thinking, well, who do I turn to to get advice on what I need to do to care for my loved one? It's an incredible, scary position to be in. And I feel quite peng because um, the stress that you must have been put under knowing how you're going to find your husband every time you came back home would be would, would, would be incredibly scary. Um, all I can say is the advice is the MND um, Association have great resources um, and don't be afraid to ask for help. Uh, it, it could be from anybody. It could be a local support group because um, someone somewhere knows something about what you need to do next. You've just got to find a channel into what you need. Uh, but don't sit at home thinking there's nobody because that, because that's the um, that, that's the worst thing you can do. There's, there's always someone out there who can help. It's got to be the right help. You've got to get the right answers. But the MND Association should be able to do that for you and, and help you, you know, to put you in contact with people to some degree. But your medical professionals should be the ones who then w should know that that side of things. Mm. Um People have to keep pushing sometimes, don't they? And just like you say, if you don't get the right answer, just keep asking other people. But, it, you know, in my experience and from our family's experience, that there is a, a lovely community in a sense of, of people going through MND, whether people are, are living with it, they're caring for somebody with it, they have had a family member who has who sadly died from it. Uh, you know, the MND warriors are out there in numbers and and people are there to be able to to support you if you reach out i know there's lots of information on the mnd website and there are also of course all the the regional associations as well aren't there uh, quite peng for you i know you know you talk about um, the situation that you have been in for a number of years what effect do you think it's it's had on you the impact it has had on you because it, I just, it just, my heart goes out to you because it just sounds like a hugely stressful situation. Yeah, it is, and it isn't, you know, because uh, it is very stressful. I am sleep deprived because I'm always having my ears are always, you know, alert, always listening to what's happening, you know, what's going on because he's in the bedroom and the carers are with him. You know, we've had situation where they have connected the wrong tubing to him rather than connecting him to the ventilator. You know, they've connected him to the coffices machine, which has no air going in and the alarm goes off and I can hear him struggling. He can't move, but he can, you know, sort of struggle. I could hear his bed sheet going. And, um, you know, sometimes we have very good carers and when we have good carers, that is when I'm able to, you know, uh, go into London, for example, uh, and, and, and enjoy myself for, for half a day and then come back. But other times I wouldn't even want to go out the front door. But because there isn't enough stuff to go around, you know, for, for these kind of care, it, it is quite scary that we still have them. But, uh, but you know, since they can't provide the care, I'm always having to be here, always having to troubleshoot. I never not around. My husband wants me to go on holiday. So he's thinking about April sending me to Morocco and he's okay. doing all the research on his computer. And uh, and I'm very reticent about the whole thing because, you know, um, do I do I, you know, do I trust, you know, them to leave them at home? 
he doesn't want to go into hospital for exactly the same reason what happened last time when he was in hospital he couldn't communicate you know so he, he he doesn't want to go into hospital and i you know and so he doesn't want to go anywhere for respite you know he wants to be nursed at home by the carers but i'm i'm a bit scared so that's a bit of pressure uh the good news is that uh the icb has agreed for us to have a carer go in with him any any time he's um admitted so at least that is a, a positive outcome mm. you know so it is stressful, you know, impact on me, you know, is I, I still don't get enough sleep. I'm still sleep deprived. But <laughs> if you want a positive out of it is that when I drive, I'm a lot more careful. When I feel tired, you know, I will stop and I will, you know, rest. I found impact on my children, big thing. My daughter, oh, she, 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 was, she was very close. She's very close to the father. You know, and uh, and um, so her father is her pillar, still is, but was her pillar at the time, and her pillar had collapsed. You know, and so she couldn't go to him. She he was drooling, he was you know salivating, and she would not go near him because you know she just couldn't deal with the father being like that. You see, so and so she found it very very difficult to deal with, and eventually she had to move out. And and so it was difficult. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Understandable. Yeah, but doesn't it make a mockery of the whole care assessment then when you, you know, when you're still feeling like that quite perfect? Because you if care assessment's done, then they should follow that through with competent carers to to, to not make you feel like that. Yeah. You know. You you should feel happy to be able to go out and come back and find your husband in the same state you left him in. You know, mm. when he was all fine before you went out and not have that worry about what you're going to come back to. You yeah. can never switch off, can you, as a carer? So no, even you if you're not there, it's still on your mind. You're still thinking about it. You're still thinking, you know, what's going on while I'm not there? Can I trust what's happening? And I think also, you know, quite Peng, from the point of view that you've mentioned there, that not only are you a carer, but you're a family going through this as well aren't you and hmm. I think that makes it harder because it's it's difficult enough isn't it when you as you say with your daughter and I know watching my dad go through it that you know it's it's awful it's just the most cruel horrific horrible disease to watch someone you love go through and I just find it awful that not only are you trying to get your head around that trying to be there for them and support them in all sorts of ways in emotional ways in physical ways in in every other kind of way to try and lessen the impact of it on them but also trying to get your head around it to to then have the additional feeling that all of that caring burden is on you um it's just yeah it's just relentless isn't it it is you know and and you know as as a mother you know as parents you know we try and shield our children from a lot of things you know we try not to tell them for a long long time i treated my children even though they were in their tw early 20s i treated them as children and i kept you know a lot of things from them and i was shouldering a lot of you know of, of it because because that's what parents do because they have 
their own lives, their own problems, you know, going to university, getting jobs, you know. So for a long time, I shouldered, you know, a lot of that. There is a positive to this. You know, my son lives with us. With, you know, he, he was, Katie was uh, diagnosed in June. Uh, he went to university in um, uh, September. And so he couldn't help me look after uh, Katie. So he's, when he graduated, he said to me, I'm not going to get a, a permanent job. You know, I'm just going to get a part-time job and I'll help you look after daddy. You know, so he did that. He did that marvelously. Oh. The sad thing was, you know, he had to do CPR on Katie and that made him grow up. You know, we just had this conversation last night. We had a reflective ses- session last night. And, you know, he said to me that that CPR just, you know, traumatized me so much, you know. But then, you know, he also reflected that, you know, he's, you know, met a lot of carers and, and, and developed a lot of empathy, a lot of compassion. David, you know, picking up with you on on that point, there are there are so many things, aren't there, that you have to juggle. And and we would say there, you know, not only as a as a carer, but as a as a person sort of getting to grips with it and going through it yourself as well. Running a household, because because my wife, when I was working, my wife just did everything for me, you know. And as soon as she couldn't do anything, she had to accept that she couldn't do what she couldn't do. So I said, well, I'll do it all. You, you look after me and I'll look after you, including taking over the bills and taking over the cooking and taking over the cleaning and doing all the shopping and making sure that she's going to be okay for the hour and a half I'm out. But everything, it impacts on every part of your life. Um, nothing is like it was. You have to embrace that change and adapt. Every minute of the day, it's, I mean, something changes. The impact is immense on every part of your day. Um, and you don't get away from it um, in no way, even though you think at some point you, you can relax. You're not actually relaxed because you've got it. You're watching all the time for that little change, that little change. How can you make this easier? How can you make it better? Is that struggling? Is that struggling? Can you adapt this? Can you adapt that? So, so you never actually get away from it. And no matter how much you have uh, uh, help that you actually receive in the end, you still don't get away from it yourself. Um, so having time away is always a luxury, but as I said, the biggest time we had apart was four hours in, in, in that three and a half years, you know, before she died. And you actually become a carer. Uh, you you lose aspects of being a husband or a wife. And the only time I felt I was a husband again was the last two days when she went into the hospice, when I when I was cared for as her husband and not having to be her carer, mm. you know. You know, you, you lose your independence. Um, you, I, I was starting to lose myself uh, of who I actually was. Um, am I a carer? Am I a husband? Am I, a, you know, what role am I actually playing here in, um, in the scheme of things? I felt like you were doing a job ra- rather than being with the person you loved. It, it, just, it, just, it just became, and then when she died, I just felt totally redundant, as if I'd lost my job, mm. you know, <laughs> it was... I felt I had no purpose then, you know. I felt while I was looking after her, I had this purpose of making sure that she was okay. Everything evolved around her. You you can't afford to lose who you are in, in that, because um, you can get you can get bogged down with so much because you start living that condition yourself, you know, mm-hmm. and you 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 start you you start being that MND person as well because mm-hmm. because that's what your life is all about. It just becomes all all consuming at times and um you know you've got to find a way to keep you in that you become very lost 
No, that's an important point because I imagine, like you say, you get you, you kind of get wrapped up with the functionality of it, don't you? That it's just a series of of endless tasks that keep on going. It's a it's a really interesting point you make there about going from being the husband or or the wife, you know, to the carer and and the sort of how that changes and the impact that can have. And Kwai Peng, for you, is that something that you find as well? Because I think it's it's hard, isn't it? Because it's going to change your relationship with that person that you've had for however many years because of what's happening. Yes, yeah. I'm like David said. You, you become, the, you know, the, the 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 patient in a sense. You know, you. I always refer to care. You know, to to the carers as you know my carer, our carers, you know, not, not my husband's carers, you know, I, you know, we're talking about them as, you know, part of our family, you know, and uh, you just become, you know, so engrossed in it and you just don't have time to think of anything else, you know, and. Yeah. Um, I was quite lucky because I was able to have the odd hour in the day from my wife. So I, I, I used to cycle a lot, uh, you know, and I was able to, so that, so, so that was my mindfulness bit that I could, get on my bike, just, just on my trainer in the conservatory, but it was an hour that I had just away from the, so I was able to detach for that short period of time. And, but I could still see my wife in, in the lounge where she was sitting. So even though I wasn't far away, I could still do that exercise, keep myself going and, um, and, ra- and then raise, ra- raise money for MND in the process, you know, cause I, cause I, you know, cause I, I you know, I've raised several thousand pounds from or, or, or years with, with my cycling and that's giving back to the money that we actually had from them for sh- the small grants that we had we're we're coming up to being out of time so i just wanted to to get both of you to sort of reflect for us with a with a final answer on the main things that you want people to know about being a carer for someone with mnd so Kwai Peng, what would you say i would say when you're caring for someone uh, who who has a terminal illness, make time for each other. Yeah, I mean, it may seem horrible, but look at it as a second chance in life. And and that, you know, uh, and look at it from a different a different angle. Yeah, it is a long goodbye, as I've said, but we say, get the chance to say goodbye with meaning, you know, you know, and, and appreciate the, the preciousness, if there's such a word, of life, you know. And so, Yes, it is a horrible situation that we're in, and there is so much pressure. You know, be good, nice to each other, spend time with each other, and you know, make those few months, days, years meaningful. Mm. That's my message. I, good advice. I, I would certainly echo it. I think I would echo every part of that, but also try and find each other's wishes as well about what you need should the should the end day become inevitable. Work at what you need to get everything right, and also don't be afraid to ask for help. It 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 doesn't mean that you're any weaker or any less of a person. Just ask for help if you need it. Ask for that help, and someone somewhere should be able to put you in the right track. But don't don't ever be don't ever be afraid to ask for help. Well, listen, David Kwai Peng, thank you so much for sharing your experiences with us. It's it's just been it's been really interesting talking to you both hearing your stories hearing your perspectives so thank you so much and just to say if anyone listening is caring for someone living with mnd our thoughts 
obviously are with you. We know how hard it is to let you know that support and advice is available via the MND Association's website. That's www.mndassociation.org forward slash support hyphen for hyphen carers forward slash. And the MND has a proud history of campaigning. Essentially, it's all about pushing for change to make life better for the MND community. Campaigning can and does take shape in all sorts of different ways. And if you'd like to find out more about the Support MND Carers campaign and how you can get involved, please visit mndassociation.org forward slash support MND Carers, or you can email campaigns at mndassociation.org. So David Kuipeng, thank you once again. Thank you to all our listeners and for you taking the time to join us. If it is something you're going through, I just want to say you're not alone. You're part of the MND Warrior community. We all stand together in wanting to improve the lives of those with MND. Thanks so much for listening and bye from me. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. You've been listening to MND Matters, a podcast from the MND Association. Find more information at mndassociation.org. If you've been affected by any of the issues raised in this episode, contact our helpline MND Connect on 0808 802 6262 or email mndconnect at mndassociation.org.